I don't often go to the gym, but when I do, I like to listen to sermons. Or if I'm out walking, I'll listen to a sermon. About a year ago, I was listening to a sermon, and I thought to myself, that's a message that I'd like to share with my students sometime at the school. Uh, and which I did. About six weeks ago, I shared a message in our school chapel. And then when I was asked to speak in this weekend services, the Lord just drew me back to this message. And um, I heard a preacher say once that I milk from various sources, but I churn my own butter. So when I have a theme in a message that comes from one particular place, I like to give credit to that. And so a lot of what I'm going to share with you this morning comes, comes from that message, interwoven with my thoughts and some other scriptures. Have you ever bargained for something? If you ever bought a house, if you ever bought a car, if you've ever been to a yard sale, <laughs> you know that the ticket price isn't always the final selling price. And so we bargain. And we bargain because we have money that the person wants, and they have something that we want. And so we negotiate, we bargain. And through a series of communications, we eventually come to a meeting of the minds where we hand over cash and they hand over something. Maybe an old lamp that you really don't want <laughs> at a yard sale. Have you ever bargained with God? Have you ever said to him, Lord, if you will just get me out of this mess, I promise you that I will stop doing you fill in the blanks. Oh, if, Lord, if you'll get me out of this mess, I will start doing. And you fill in the blanks. Lord, if you will just get me this, this great job or this great promotion, I promise you I will be at church more regularly in 2019. As if God is anxiously going from weekend to weekend, figuring out how he can organize your life to get you into church on a more regular basis. But we sometimes do that. We sometimes bargain with God. We go to God with our prayer requests and say, Lord, if you will do A, B, C, I'll do X, Y, Z. What it really comes down to is tricks, isn't it? We're asking God to do tricks for us. We're asking God to do something that, that if he would do, then we would do something in exchange. And if God doesn't, then what? And so the big question is, what if there are no tricks? What if there is no bargaining list that God is willing to meet you halfway at? For several weeks, in fact, several months, we've been studying the book of Acts. I want to take us back briefly to Acts chapter 5. Just going to look at a couple of verses. I'm not going to stay there for long. And then we're going to go to Luke 5 and then uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. So Acts chapter 5, verse 12. By this time, by the time Luke is recording this event, we, we guess that the New Testament church is probably a year old, maybe a year and a half, two years old. Uh, the church is growing. There is this, this kind of this nervous air about persecution Rumors, uh, the Sanhedrin has already kind of flexed its muscles. Uh, Paul, Saul is waiting in the wings. They're about to mount persecution against the church. But the church is growing. People are being added to it. 
And Luke records these words, verse 12, Acts chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. Now now scholars aren't too sure who none of the rest are. They think it's religious leaders because it's not the regular crowd because a lot of the people in Jerusalem were joining the church. And so when Luke says, and the rest didn't join them, um, probably talking about religious leaders, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And we say, wonderful, praise the Lord. Do you imagine how full this church would be if, I almost don't want to say this, but people brought their sick and I just walked out? And boom, they were healed. I do not have healing powers. I wouldn't look like this if I did. So the challenge here is, what if there are no signs and wonders? Back in the day of the New Testament church, there were signs and wonders, and it was booming and it was exciting. What if there were no signs and wonders? Would we still commit 2019 to God? What if God said to you this morning, I am not going to pay attention to any of your bargaining list throughout the new year. Will you still say to him at the dawn of 2019, Lord, I will follow you. No strings attached. No bargaining. No tricks. No signs and wonders are guaranteed. I will just serve you regardless. This is how it was for the first disciples that Jesus called, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They had no clue what was coming. They had no idea what the next step would be when Jesus said, follow me. So let's look at that passage, Luke chapter 5. About six weeks ago when I was sharing from Acts chapter 4, I referenced this passage just briefly in one of the messages. But this morning, I want to go back verse by verse, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. What's another name for lake of Gennesaret? Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee. And what's interesting to me in that verse is that phrase... They were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. This is before they know who Jesus is. This is before he's fed the multitudes and walked on water and healed the sick. Well, he might have done some of that previous to this, but but Jesus is virtually an unknown. But he's teaching. Christianity is an informed faith. Now, I want to say something that kind of might disturb some of you, but just just hang with me. Christianity does not start with faith. Never ever anywhere do we expect people to take a blind leap of faith. It's not in Scripture. It is an informed faith. We teach. 
We share information. When I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of 16, I was given information. I understood my condition of my heart. I understood the grace and the work of God, and I accepted. Christianity is an informed faith. It is rooted in history. It is supported by evidence. There is an abundance of evidence to support Christianity. Then it's accepted by faith. The crowd is pressing in on that day because they're wanting to hear from Jesus. He's teaching them. He's informing them. Christianity invites questions. In fact, we welcome questions, even some difficult, sticky questions. We welcome them. Eugene Peterson, the author of the Bible, the message paraphrase Bible, says this, the reason many of us do not ardently believe in the gospel is that we have never given it a rigorous testing, thrown our hard questions at it, faced it with our prickly doubts. I think God is up to your prickly doubts, to your hard questions. So Jesus is teaching on the shore of Galilee. People are getting information. The crowd's pressing in. Verse 2 and 3. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Then after teaching, Jesus gives an interesting invitation. It's not an invitation, come forward and get saved type of invitation. It's an invitation to go fishing. Now this is very, very important. Okay, so bear, bear that in mind. It's just a mundane, routine thing. Let's go fishing. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Peter has several problems with this invitation. Peter's a thinker. We know that from his messages, we know that from his preaching, from his writing, Peter's a deep thinker. Even though he was thought to be an uneducated, ordinary man, Peter's a deep thinker. And Peter's gray matter starts churning. And he's thinking to himself, we have fished all night and caught nothing. We've already packed up our nets. We've laid them out. We've cleaned them. They're drying. We don't want to go out again. Besides, it's mid-morning, maybe late morning. The fish have swum into the deep already. They're gone. Jesus, you're a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? And besides, there's people on the beach listening to your talk. They know us. We do business with them. And when we go out fishing and come back again with nothing, they're going to laugh at us. Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. I'm going to read verse 5 again from the NIV. I like the way that the NIV phrases this. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is a big moment, isn't it? This is a huge moment. This is one of those moments when God tells us to do something out of the ordinary or do something against the rules 
Not talking about moral, moral rules, but against the rules of maybe our own existence, our routine in life, and we come to an intersection, and it doesn't make sense to us. And God is saying, do it. Do it anyway. You have no idea what's coming. But because you say so. This was a big moment in Peter's life. It's possible that we might never, ever have heard of Peter, Andrew, James, and John if they had not gone fishing. Peter had no idea that for the next 2,000 years we would name our children after them. Peter had no idea that this was coming. Can you show that picture? Do you know what that is? That's St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Now set aside the religious symbolism and the icons. When it comes to architecture and art, that is an amazing building. My wife and I were there about eight years ago. It is just incredible. If they had allowed me, I would have literally just lay on the floor and looked. <laughs> Fifteen hundred years after Peter said, because you say so, they built this church in Peter's honor. To glorify God, I would like to think that they put Peter's name on it. And what's interesting about this church, it took about 130 years to build, and they built it, according to legend, right over Nero Circus. Nero Circus was in the 60s of the first century. Nero was the first Roman emperor to have a wide, empire-wide persecution against Christians. He was a nutcase. And he had this arena in Rome where, where he would literally put Christians in and torture them and persecute them. That's not the Colosseum. It was a separate structure. One of the things that Nero did is he, he would take animal skins, or big animals, but just the skins, and he would force Christians into them, have people sew them up, leave them in the middle of the arena, and have wild, hungry dogs or lions come out and gnaw at the skin and slowly kill Christians tied up inside them. And 1,500 years later, the church built a structure as if to tell Nero and the devil, you did not succeed against us. Peter had no idea this was coming when he said, Lord, because you say so. And you and I have no idea what will come if we would just boldly say, Lord, because you say so. In 2019, Lord, because you say so, whatever that is, even though we have no clue what the next step would be, because you say so. We don't know who we will never meet. We don't know the joy we will never have. We don't know the depth of understanding we will have in God. Unless we simply say, Lord, because you say so, I will do it. For some of you, Christianity might have become boring. You're here this morning because it's routine. You're going through the motions. For some of you, Christianity might be static. There's no growth. There hasn't been growth in your life for a long time. And every once in a while, God challenges, challenges you with something to take that step and you talk yourself out of it. Every once in a while, God challenges you to take another step, 
and somebody else talks you out of it. And we have no idea what might come. And Peter's thinking to himself, this is crazy. It doesn't make sense. It might be embarrassing. It might cost me time and money. But because Jesus said so. Look at verse 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. Look at the first part of verse 8. And when Simon Peter saw it, as I shared with you a few weeks ago, Peter cried out, I'm rich! (laughs) I can pay my bills in 2019! Maybe he went and offered Jesus a contract in the fishing business. No. All of a sudden, fish was the furthest thing from Peter's mind. The material didn't mean a whole lot. Peter is awestruck. He's overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. Verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Somebody has said that being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. It is a prerequisite. Being a doubter does not disqualify you from following Jesus. Not having all of your answers, your questions answered, does not disqualify you from taking that step. In fact, it's probably the best place to be. Maybe you're on the fence this morning for going all out with the Lord because you've been hurt. Hurt by hypocrisy in Christians, hurt by church, hurt by boring, whatever it is. I want to encourage you, don't let that hold you back from following Jesus. If you've been frustrated and annoyed by church, or by programs, or by people, or by business, or by the, the politics and economy. Don't let that keep you from following Jesus. Verse 9 and 10. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also was James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now, the next four words that Jesus speaks would have been the first time they heard these words from Jesus, but it wouldn't be the last. In fact, they would hear these words over and over and over again. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. I know that's easier said than done. I don't know your story. I don't know your life. And it's easy for me to say, well, 2019 is looming. Do not be afraid. But I believe this is, this is God's message to you this morning. I looked up the words, do not be afraid, do not fear, don't be afraid. I looked them all up in the Bible. It took me hours and hours. I'm, not, no, I'm just kidding. A couple of seconds, clicking buttons. Love technology. Over a hundred times in the Bible, is God repeating the phrase, do not be afraid. 
almost 30 times in the Gospels. Do not be afraid. When you're out on your boat in the middle of a storm, do not be afraid. When you're doubting, do not be afraid. When God is calling you to something out of the ordinary, do not be afraid. When you're facing persecution, do not be afraid. When you're alone, do not be afraid. When you're facing uncertainty, a new year dawning, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus goes on in that verse, from now on you will be catching men. I love this verse. I love that phrase. Because Jesus in essence is saying, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, he's saying, Peter, you've seen me change the rules for fishing. Now follow me and let's go change the world. Let's go make a difference in someone's life. Follow me and let's see what God does. Even though you've got no clue what hangs in the balance, follow me and let's go make a difference somewhere, somehow. Verse 11, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So let's pretend that Peter is standing here. And he's talking to me, and let's pretend that I'm one of these that's just not all in with Jesus. I'm not following Jesus as I should. Maybe I'm not following Jesus at all. And Peter and I are going to have a conversation, okay? So Peter says, Wayne, um, are you following Jesus? Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in awe. And well, Peter says, well, why not? Well, you see, I've got this issue, and it's not going so well in this part of my life. And, and I've got these questions. And Peter says, well, you ought to just follow Jesus. And then I say, well, Peter, it's okay for you to say that. If Jesus did for me what he did for you on that beach in Galilee, I would follow him too. And Peter would say, what? And I'd say, seriously, seriously. If Jesus did for me on the beach in Vera Beach... <laughs> Something like that, that he did for you on the Sea of Galilee, I would follow him too. And Peter would say, are you serious? He might even pull a John McEnroe. You can't be serious. If you don't know John McEnroe, that's okay. And I say, yeah, I'm serious. If Jesus did for me what he did for you, I'd follow him too. And Peter would respond by saying, you know what he did for you. You're on the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You know what he did. And you're still waiting for tricks? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for God to jump out from behind a tree and frighten you? Seriously, some of you are holding back from going all out for God. Why is that? You're waiting for tricks? You're waiting for some bargaining thing that God is going to do miraculously in your life? Peter would be astonished. Why aren't you following him? Peter might say, well, have you read my letters? Have you read my letters? I wrote two letters to the church. Have you read them? Let me remind you of two verses. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read these verses from the New International Version. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. 
When they hurled the insults at him, talking about Jesus, Peter is writing about Jesus. When they hurled the insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter might say, when we were in the garden that night, and Judas came with his fist full of 30 silver coins and a company of soldiers, we knew it was trouble. And I was even ready to defend Jesus and fight. But Jesus stopped me and Jesus just walked straight to those Romans and he surrendered. He gave himself to the crucifixion, knowing exactly what was coming. And I have seen crucifixions, Peter might say. I've seen Romans crucify people. And when men are crucified, they cry out for death for days. They cry out for their mothers. When people walk by them, they insult them from the cross, hope throw it at them and their misery. And when Jesus did that, when Jesus hung on the cross, he did not do any of that. He insulted no one. He, he did not accuse his persecutors. And he did that for you. And that's massive. And you waiting on tricks to follow him? What he did for us on that beach was just fish tricks. It's nothing else. Who are you following? Who has made you a better offer? I know that sounds kind of very humanistic, kind of clinical, but seriously, who, who else offers you eternal life? Who else has done more for you? Let's read verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We know what he has done for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Wouldn't that be enough reason for you to go all out for Jesus in 2019? Holding nothing back. By his wounds you have been healed. We know what Jesus offers us. Forgiveness of sin. We sang about it yeah, this morning. Forgiveness of sin. Freedom from guilt and shame. Chains of bondage loosened. Set free. He has done that for us. Isn't that enough reason for us to go all out for him? What are you afraid of? What's holding you back? I looked through those hundred plus passages in the Bible that said, do not be afraid. And I've selected six that I just want to briefly walk you through. Just very, very briefly. I'm going to fill in the story, read the scripture, and then we'll move on. Just very, very briefly. When you're feeling pressed on every side, and sometimes that happens. Life is crazy, and we're busy, and the bills and family, and we're just feeling pressed, and everything is just pressing in on us. Moses was sent to Egypt to lead the people out of Egypt, and they're on the edge of the Red Sea. They've left Egypt, water in front of them, miles and miles of it, and they look behind, and here comes the Egyptian army. They're in serious trouble. They are hard-pressed on every side, and they're fearful. Listen to God's words. Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses 
giving God's message to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Do you realize that that's possible in your life? That thing that's hounding you, that's keeping you from going all out for Jesus, that besetting sin, that habit, that addiction, that memory that's haunting you, it's possible that if you would just trust him, you might never see that again. Is that possible? Yes. Absolutely. If you'll just stand firm. The second one takes us into the life of the nation of Judah. Jehoshaphat is the king, one of the few good kings that Judah had. And three armies are coming up against the nation of Judah, and the people are alarmed. In fact, the Bible says Jehoshaphat was alarmed. He called the people of Judah and Jerusalem to a meeting, and the prophet Jehaziel stood up and delivered God's message. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Jehaziel the prophet is speaking, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde. Now that great horde is not going to be three armies, but it might be something else. It might be a health issue, an economic issue, a relational issue. Do not be dismayed. For the battle is not yours, but God's. 2019 is God's. Amen? The third one takes us to the book and prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied um, the northern kingdom had been defeated by the nation of Assyria. And Isaiah was prophesying and teaching, ministering to the nation of Judah and God was warning them, what happened to Israel, the northern kingdom, is coming to you. The Babylonians were rising in power. The people are concerned. More than ten times in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says to the people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm going to read just one of those. When the future is bleak, as it was for Judah, you have no idea what's coming. God says this, Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. It's interesting those words come up again. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Matthew chapter 14. The disciples are on a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has sent them across the sea. He sent them alone without him. And a storm comes up. It's buffeting the boat, and they're afraid. And there comes Jesus walking on the water. We know this passage well. Matthew 14, verse 27. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I'm convinced about that passage, that the point when Jesus sent them across the lake wasn't, get, wasn't to get to the other side. It was so they, they would see Jesus walking on the storm. The point of 2019 is not to get to the end of December. The point is to see Jesus walking with you every single day. It's a journey. It's not the destination. 
Next one, in Luke chapter 1, this is familiar to us at this season. When you risk losing everything to follow Jesus. Have you ever sat and contemplated what Mary risked when Jesus told her that she would bring God's Son into the world? He risked everything. The love and support of a family, even her betrothed Joseph. He risked being ostracized by the community. The angel said to her, Luke 1.30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. My friends, you have found favor with God. Even in the midst of your doubts and your uncertainties, you are God's. The last one, when God is calling you to a completely new direction in life, maybe... Maybe you know that God has been calling you to maybe take on a ministry, change a career, end a relationship that's not healthy for you, get out of a partnership that's just problematic, and you're uncertain and you're nervous about taking that step, just like Peter on that beach. And Jesus says, Simon, do not be afraid. Luke 5 verse 10. When Peter's simple faith on that beach intersected with the presence of Jesus, life changed for Peter and Andrew and James and John. And when your simple faith intersects with the presence of Jesus, who knows what joy will come? Who knows what amazing things we see? But even if we don't see those amazing things, God is saying, just follow me. Just follow me. From the best evidence that we can find, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the other apostles, when it comes to human achievement, they died with nothing. No great lands or businesses that we know of, great bank accounts. But there's something else that they died without. Regret. Nowhere from the lives of those apostles do we get any regret that they follow Jesus all out. I've been in Christian ministry over 35 years. I have never met anyone who said they regretted following Jesus. I've never sat at a bedside of somebody dying who served the Lord for years and years, and they regretted following Jesus. Some of them have had regrets. Too much time focused on money, too little time with family and friends. So I want to end this by sharing just a, just a short story. It comes from the ministry of a guy called Tony, Tony Campalo. He's a well-known author and speaker. And Tony was in London on a business trip, and he was told of a very scenic train ride outside the city of London. So he decided to take it. And he was in this compartment in this train sitting across from two men. So they were kind of facing each other. And Tony said they were out of, out of London a few minutes when one of the men fell onto the floor having a seizure. And his friend just kind of quietly got on the floor next to him while his friend was shaking in the seizure and just hugged him and held him until the seizure passed. The friend looked up at Tony and Tony said he'd never seen something like that before and was kind of frightened. And the friend said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, he said, this happens a lot. My friend has his seizures. And they sat back up on the chair. And the friend started telling Tony the story. 
He said, we're in Vietnam together. And we were walking on patrol one day, and we, we entered this firefight and bombs and everything exploding, and, and, and this big bomb exploded in front of us and, and, and ripped a hole in my chest. And my friend was wounded, and I fell down, and he literally picked me up and carried me out of the jungle and saved me that day. And after the war, we separated, but we stayed in touch and I was living in New York, and my friend was living here in London, and, and I heard that he had started developing these seizures, and he was living alone. So I sold my business and, and my household, and I moved to London to take care of him. And Tony said, well, that's a very noble thing to do. And the friend said, oh, no. After what he did for me in the jungle, there isn't anything that I won't do for him. You know where I'm going with this, right? We know what he did for us. We're on the other side of the story. After what he did for us, is there anything that we shouldn't be willing to do for him? Let's pray. Maybe this morning the Lord has just reminded you of something in your life, some area in your life where you haven't been all out for him. Maybe you've come to church this morning with doubts and questions and you haven't followed Jesus because of those. I want to encourage you this morning to take that step. Not because you've figured it all out. Not because you have all of the answers and not because you're expecting signs and wonders, but simply because you're willing to take a step and follow Jesus. Maybe you're anxious about 2019 because 2018 has been tough. And right now there's no signs or indications that it's going to be any better. I want to encourage you to say again, offer it to Jesus, 2019. As the worship team leads us, there will be prayer partners at the altar on your left if you need somebody to pray with. If you want to pray alone, you can come to the altar on your right. Father, thank you for doing what you did for us. Thank you for coming to our world, for giving up the privileges of heaven to go through what you did for us. And we all know it. We all know exactly what you did and why you did it. Father, stir our hearts this morning as the worship team leads us. Give us the courage, Lord, to follow you. Give us the courage to follow you without any strings attached, just simply because you're inviting us to follow you. Do that for us this morning, I pray. Let's stand together and worship as they lead us.
If you have, if maybe this morning you made that decision for the first time, or maybe you've made it because you know you haven't followed him as well as you should have, let someone know. Come and tell one of the pastors or fill out that connection card and drop it off. We want to pray for you and support you. If you haven't, and you've still got doubts or questions, talk to someone. And take them to God. It's okay. I wish you a happy, prosperous new year in Christ. I want to pray a blessing over you and your families for 2019. Let's pray. May the grace and love and peace of Almighty God rest over you and your family. May His face shine upon you and give you peace. May the fellowship and the love and joy of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the Son of God, walk with you through 2019. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Follow Him. Go change the world with Him.